apparently just woke up one day naked, surrounded by drink, coke, and whores. Shoes. And shoes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a guy lying. There's a guy lying there with three women wearing only his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> shoes on his hands. I looked at him and thought, that's perverse. <laughs> he thought, I've got to get out of here. <laughs> or you have him killed through some ridiculous concatenation of circumstance, which is incredibly unsatisfying because it'll be, you know, apple tree falls on him or something. Do you know what I mean? It just cuts to black as you hear this creak. (laughs) (laughs) Hello there. Welcome to Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And today we are going to be discussing episode four of uh, series six of Game of Thrones, and a bit later on, we're also going to be talking about one particular fan theory that uh, has been doing the rounds again and again and again on uh, on social media and on the internet for years now, which is uh, this one relating to the parentage of Jon Snow. Um, Gosh! Yes. Uh, as ever, this is a, a podcast that uh, focuses very much on sort of the series from a book perspective because obviously our thing is the books normally so it's uh you know how does the what does what's happening in the series impact what's happening in the books and vice versa so um there is an assumption in this podcast that you've read the books up to as far as sort of at least the end of a dance with dragons so just beware that there are if you haven't read the books there will be spoilers in this decent warning yeah, that was pretty good. I, I, I noticed how good we're getting at these at this point as well. We're yeah. kicking out so many beware, beware, spoiler, spoiler messages now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, very good. So let's uh, let's have a look very quickly at this. Uh, get a quick. Well, let's get let's get into it straight away with uh, series three, episode four. So um, we open up with Jon Snow getting a bit of a guilt trip from Dolores Ed, basically. He's saying, come on, you're really going to leave. This, You've seen what's out there. You've seen what's on yeah. the way. Um, you're going to just be like, peace, I'm out of here. I'm going to Laters, yeah. laters, losers. You can, you can really understand why Ed would be like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I love the way they made a virtue out of the fact that they actually did the hard home kind of set piece in yeah. the TV series where they didn't in the book. Um because he he's able to say, I've seen these things. They are a terrifying, never-breaking, ever-rolling, all-consuming tidal wave of fucking zombies. Are you kidding me? You are leaving. <laughs> it's a very, very powerful way of putting it. I liked it. I actually thought the geezer who plays it, who I previously uh, plays Dollar of Sets, I, I, I'd only known from... Um, uh, there's a sketch show, comedy sketch show um, in the UK called um, Man Stroke Woman. Right. Did you ever see it? No. Right, it, not what the title makes it sound like, all right? <laughs> Definitely, it's, it's, it's pre-watershed content, all right? It's, all right, fine to watch with your kids. But um, he was in that. He was one of those, like, three guys and three women. And um, and he was one of, he was the sort of northern comic relief in that. And then he got cast as Dolorous Ed and has spent <laughs> six seasons looking really haggard next to this enormous wall of ice and nailing it. <laughs> I love that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure where John's gonna go. Um, he doesn't seem to have much of a plan. Other than I've had enough. That you know, everyone killed me. I'm not. I'm not. 
I'm not happy with that. So I'm yeah. getting over it. <laughs> yeah, it would, did this strike you as adolescent? As kind of like, <laughs> well, well, f- fine, fine. I'll just fucking go, go home then. <laughs> or is it more sort of... Because it seemed to me, like certainly with the line, my watch is ended, it definitely seemed like a way of a character who has had nothing but misery being stuck at the wall. Yeah. actually getting to, to do something interesting with his life. But am I wrong, do you think? Was that Did that strike you as adolescent? Um, it's prob- part of that. I think it's probably as much just, you know, listening to public opinion. It can't get much clearer that you're not wanted <laughs> when you get killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a fairly strong argument, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's the ultimate, I'll get me coat yeah. moment, isn't it? It's just sort of like, oh, oh, yeah. oh tough crowd. Yeah. Ooh, um, yeah. I'll be <laughs> off then. <laughs> yeah. But before he can leave, um, he's stopped in his tracks because somebody arrives. The gates open, and it's his, it's his sister Sansa making it dun, all the dun, way dun, up dun, here, dun. accompanied by Brienne, who rides in looking like a total boss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not least, Matt, because she is still alive. It, well, yeah, <laughs> that can't that can't hurt, can it? And. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I mean, we are so far removed from the books here. I'm not even sure what to say in relation to that. But basically, oh, yeah. yeah, basically, Sansa turns up, um, says, you know, sorry for being mean to you when we were back in Winterfell all those seasons ago, and um, let's get down there and take it back and kick some Bolton ass. Uh, what did you make of this development? So this, I think, is this huge moment and he should have put this in at the end of the dance with dragons right Mm. because i know the end of the dance with dragons was the purpose of that was john snow's dead fucking hell um (laughs) and and george martin loves a fucking hell moment with the death of a character almost to the point where it ceases to be a fucking hell moment and becomes a oh fucking hell moment (laughs) instead a subtle but important <laughs> difference. Absolutely. This may only be clear to the English amongst our listeners. But um, uh, so I understand why he did it the way he did it. But the problem that the series has had for the whole of the Feast of Crows and the whole of A Dance with Dragons is that it's gone from being this incredibly tightly plotted ball of excellence in A Game of Thrones and carried that, broadly carried that through. You know, you go from, okay, this is the, the Stark family. These are these other noble families. Fucking elders of war. Bam, story of the war. And then it carries it through um, Clash of Kings, Storm of Swords. And then in A Feast for Crows, it just goes, it's like he dropped, like he dropped the glassware on the floor and it just shattered into a thousand pieces. (laughs) And I don't think I have been reticent in my frustration with that decision because I've just spent, and they're two big books going, I don't care, why is she in Marine? Why is she in Bravos? Why are all these characters in these places not interacting with any of these other characters that you mm. spend quite a lot of time getting me to care about? And I still think that's, a, that's a, not a good plotting decision. But this moment here, this moment is the moment where all of that tension begins to pay off because it's two characters that you care about and who could easily have believed each other would be dead, reconnecting mm. and being like, you know, holy shit. Um, and so it was, I thought the scene was beautifully played. It was really powerful. That moment in the courtyard was actually incredibly cathartic for me yeah. as a member of this audience. Um, the fact, and the moment you have afterwards where they kind of process their childhood, I thought was really, really true. Because I, I don't know if you've had this, if you've like had 
times when you've been friends with people at a certain, you know, in your kind of like, you know, adolescence or like, mm. you know, maybe your early 20s or whatever, and you kind of drift apart and then you come back together and you feel like you need, there's, a, there's an extent to which you're like, I didn't think I was being at the time, but I think I was a massive dick on many <laughs> occasions during our friendship and I would like to apologise for that. <laughs> I was, um, Just, I, I read, I'm not sure if this is true, it's certainly true from... Well, yeah, I can't think of any example. I think this is the first time that these two characters have actually been on screen at the same time in the whole series. This is mad, really? Yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're actually, only... that's true because yeah. they leave for the, on the King's Road instantly, don't they? Pr- yeah, pretty much first first episode they leave, and I don't think even at the very start of that episode one that you ever see them together because, like, you have they all sort of line up and meet the king when he turns up but john's not there then they have the big banquet but you know sansa's in the hall and john's outside and then they all leave oh i thought john was i'm getting confused aren't i john's in the room in the book but in the in the tv series he's outside looking moody yeah and deciding he's going to join the night's watch yeah Yeah. you're absolutely right (laughs) shit well as well as everything else then what a great testament to two fantastic characters that i didn't for a moment two fantastic actors and and that's interesting because i haven't actually rated sophie turner very much to this point but actually Mm. after that i'm like that's pretty good she really made me feel it you know yeah yeah um yeah so okay so that's that's cool that's a big moment that's a very emotional moment but um then she goes straight into and she fair enough she's absolutely catelyn stark's daughter she goes straight into revenge bitches <laughs> like she absolutely smacks it out right away she's like what you're not gonna sit here are you <laughs> like some sort of some sort of man and do nothing um and i thought it was interesting the different ways in which these characters have both been screwed by what has happened mm. and the different responses they have to it because Jon Snow's done everything out of duty and so at this point he's like no more fucking duty thank you very much <laughs> whereas Sansa's Sansa's been you know um you know ag- against her will these bad things have happened to her mm. so um so she's very much right I'm in part I'm free now I'm gonna fucking do something about it mm. and it's so interesting seeing the kind of clash of those two those two mindsets mm. um I have to say, I'm not too excited about the idea of them going up to Winterfell because, as far as I can see, the makers of the TV series wank over pictures of Ramsay at night, so he's never he's <laughs> never going to get killed. Um, so, um, so you know, like, so if they do go and attack Winterfell, it's just going to be the most anticlimactic thing in the universe. Plus, losing two characters, I you know, uh, I would quite like to see succeed. So, so you think Ramsay's bulletproof at this point? You'll, well, well, we will come, Matt, to my ongoing feelings about the character of Ramsay Bolton as he is presented <laughs> in the TV series in a yeah. subsequent scene. Um, someone else is at some of the discussions that are going on up at the wall. Davos is um, trying to find out what on earth went down with the Stannis army, particularly relating to Shireen. Um, and cool. un- 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 yeah, unsurprisingly, Melisandre is uh, not exactly. Uh, <laughs> Getting yeah. keen to talk she about She goes her. straight from being a... Symp- she had a moment of sympathy last week and she goes straight back to being this kind of cold-hearted, dissembling bitch. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And j- just as Melisandre's sort of going, mm, uh, yeah, Brienne, Brienne wanders Shireen, over. Shireen, did he, did he have a daughter? I don't remember <laughs> him having a daughter. Yeah, and Brienne wanders over. Hey, I know what happened. And he's thinking, uh-oh. And uh, But she, she actually does a bit of a... She says, I know what happened. You think she's going to say... 
Shireen got burned, but then obviously she doesn't know that. So she goes straight into um, Stannis got killed, I killed him, what are you going to do about it? And I didn't notice this in the first watch, but if you watch it again, she, she comes over Brienne with a sword drawn as well. Which is basically like saying hello with a loaded gun pointing at That's somebody. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. <laughs> yeah, so she's obviously... I mean, th- this is really about Brienne just coming over with a big old F.U. saying, yeah. you know what, I-, I could kill you now and just to let you know, that is at the forefront of my mind at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's on deck. It's on deck. Yeah. That that is an option that exists in our immediate future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was that's quite really interesting. Funny. Again, that's another example of some um some two very far away plots coming together again, isn't it there? Um yeah, getting these yeah, characters yeah, together. Yeah, so that's two in a single scene where I'm like, Yeah, plot everybody <laughs> characters interacting with each other instead of this endless parade of secondary characters that are never gonna appear again. <laughs> uh, then we shoot over to the veil. Uh, and we we reconnect with good old uh, sweet Robin, who's goodness me, he's grown up. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant, isn't it? This is you can't get away from this if you're if you're casting a roughly ten or eleven year old boy at the start of a six season TV show. Yeah. You need to accept that by the time you cut back to him, he's going to be huge. <laughs> he could play fucking fullback for the All Blacks, couldn't he? He's just enormous. <laughs> Yeah, um, but despite his uh, sudden spurt in growth, he's uh, he's not, still not very good at shooting an arrow. And Bronson Royce, who's looking after him, he's practically rolling his eyes as uh, as he's making a better archery. <laughs> they they cast the right bloke for that role as well, didn't they? Because yeah. he, he's the guy whose role it was in um, in uh, four weddings and a funeral <laughs> to be the posh drunken guy who <laughs> yeah. reads things out wrong. Yeah. Um, just absolutely, yeah, com- completely perfect for that kind of clueless uh, aristocrat sort of role. Yeah. Uh, Littlefinger turns up then, does the classic sort of favourite uncle stroke absentee father move and brings a really cool present for uh, for <laughs> for the teenager to get him <laughs> on side. Um, and then it's funny because it starts off with uh, Royce, Sort of looks at, like says, "Oh, you're here. You know, we've heard about what happened to Sansa. What on earth were you playing at?" And he immediately, Littlefinger, flips that round on Royce and says, "Well, there was only one person who knew what was happening, and we got ambushed. So, uh, what were you doing?" And hey. throughout all this, it basically turns into a like a power struggle, which <laughs> ends with Robin having to take sides. And he just just so nonchalant about it. He's like, "Yeah, Peter, you're probably right. Shall we kill him?" Yeah. And Robert's yeah. is like, "What? <laughs> Breathtaking, isn't it? Like, I, I did it now. Was this a scene that for you was realistically about the complete callousness of um, Robin, or was this like the most screeching of screechy plot turns? <laughs> right, where, you, where they plotted the rest of the thing and they've gone right. Big scenes later on. Okay, right. So we've how much screen time have we got here to put Littlefinger back into it? Establish Robin as a, a cold, unfeeling psychopath, and uh, establish that Littlefinger is uh, politically speaking the man. Yeah. How long have we got? Two minutes. Yeah. Two minutes. <laughs> right. Right. Fine. Fine. <laughs> did you did you buy it or was it just a little bit like? Nah. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I I thought it kind of worked because he's always been portrayed as this sort of um, 
ignorant fool, hasn't he, the uh, uh, Robin? Uh, it, and it's sort of a bit harsh to say that of a child, but now he's, he's grown up a bit and he's obviously no better. He's always been this kind of character, hasn't he, so Robin? Not, not at all interested in anything beyond what's directly affecting him. He's got a nice yeah. presence, so that's all he's really thinking about. Even when this whole discussion is going on, he's only half paying attention, isn't he? He's just sort of... Yeah. He's playing with his sort of new falcon. And yeah. he, he almost feels like he doesn't even want to make a decision. He's just like, yeah, whatever, you know, just leave me to it. I'm I'm busy having fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not interested. Yeah. 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 He, this is where the stories of bad kings come from, aren't yeah. they? These yeah. guys who are sort of raised to the role and have no idea how to empathise with other human beings. Yeah, I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised at how ready he was just to completely cut loose this guy who I assume has been looking after him for the last like two couple of years. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think on balance, that for me was a, that's a realistic character moment because mm. he is the the point of Robin is that he's completely powerless of himself, but because of his structure, the place he occupies in the sort of social structure, he has this power and he's never been taught to be anything other than astoundingly unfeeling with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, clearly learned that from his mother, who a character who, you know, quite frankly, couldn't have fallen through the moon door quick enough. Mm. Yeah. And I suppose it's really been in, in no one's interest since then to improve him. Littlefinger wants to keep him, like that because he feels he can control him which obviously he can and yeah. I'm not sure Royce is the right character to be sort of a you know <laughs> good father figure stroke teacher either he just he doesn't come yeah. across like that way does he? No, um, no So yeah so yeah that was that was, that was pretty interesting and at the end um, Littlefinger basically manoeuvres Robin into saying let's go let's go kick some ass let's get the Knights of the Vale and um, join in with this massive war that's been going on again it looks like against um so on the side of sansa so by definition against ramsay bolton so it's a another Ooh. army on this way it's happening matt it's mm. happening and now and now the plot <laughs> yeah it feels like there are a couple of pianos sort of teetering above ramsay stone eh? which is good yeah. news yes well um uh, yes, as as we shall see, um, I have thoughts on that. But let's get to it. <laughs> uh, then we we swing over to Marine. Um, this is Tyrion do, doing what Tyrion does best. Uh, we're going to be trying to make peace with our enemies. Um, so uh, Tyrion's trying to find a sort of a third way between wiping out the masters of. Yunkai and all these other slave cities and being wiped out himself he's thinking maybe we can do some kind of slow burn get rid of slavery over a period of seven years with compensation and things like that he's, he's trying to find a political solution isn't he I really enjoyed yes. this stuff what did you think yeah, well, it, it was all it did really was remind me that Tyrion in the TV series and Tyrion in the book, it's not possible for the TV series to be as kind of morally ambiguous as he is in the book, mm. because in the TV series he's played by Peter Dinklage, who is this like enormously charismatic actor. So you kind of you want to go with him mm. if you see what I mean, and as we see, so do Grey Worm and Missandei. Yeah, um, in these scenes, you know, they want they want to go with him as well, and they end up doing that. Um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting example of um 
what Tyrion represents is this sort of this diplomatic genius succeeding against all the odds in a world that apparently runs off the back of chainmail and sword arms. Mm. Um, and I like that because there's a lot of chimes with like with um, particularly European history and you know uh, and that sort of thing. Um, so you see, but he is basically this sort of Machiavelli character that you can kind of come to love mm. and. I'm quite interested in that because, first of all, Machiavelli is not himself a lovable example, but also because um, uh, because it's it's more interesting than I am. Sir swings a sword, and I am bigger than you. Yes, well, I am Sir Stabby Face, and I'm smaller <laughs> than you. You know, like which is the kind of the the tension in every other scene uh, in the rest of the series. Mm. Um, whereas here, I love seeing diplomacy. Love it. Love yeah. No, I'm not sure who. But someone is out of someone sort of doesn't understand. They, someone doesn't understand what's going on properly here, um, and uh, Grey Worm and Missendi basically on at least two, maybe three occasions during this short sort of number of scenes, say to Tyrion, "You don't understand what you're doing," and he, it's obvious Tyrion is thinking of them that they don't really understand what's going on, and I'm I'm wondering who's right here. So it's on the one yeah. hand, I either. Missende um, and Grey Worm are seeing the world in two sort of black and white, and you need to, as Tyrion says, make peace with your enemies, and that involves some level of compromise. Yeah. On the other hand, Missende and Grey Worm are saying, look, t- t- from their point of view, Tyrion's out of his depth. He's trying to yeah. negotiate with people who you can't negotiate with, and this is yeah. going to turn around and and it's going to be a problem later on. From from I mean we can't really tell from from the books because this isn't this all this stuff doesn't happen. But which one are you leaning towards? Is it is it can these guys be negotiated with? Oof, it's really difficult question to answer, isn't it? Because mm. I there's a I think there's a really interesting parallel in this experience with um, uh, the. The fact that there is, on some, on on a certain level, uh, on most levels, I think, um, it's not really possible for uh, speaking as a, you know, white English-speaking male myself, hmm. for white English-speaking men to hold forth on the challenges and difficulties facing um, people who are not empowered in the social structures they inhabit, whether that's you know, in in my home nation, you know, and the the kind of problems of um, of, uh, differential empowerment there or in development. I live in a developing country and I'm I'm very conscious that um, the the important thing to do is listen because no matter what I think is completely true about how the world works everywhere, actually there's a huge amount of cultural stuff that comes with being from a different cultural kind of environment. Well, I, I, you know, it's easy for me to just completely misunderstand. So while on the one hand, I do think, you know, perhaps Tyrion as somebody who has talked himself out of slavery, perhaps has a, you know, has a leg to stand on here and say, guys, you know, talking is the way I got out of this last time. Mm. Talking's how we're going to get out of it this time, you know my experience shows this. And I don't think he's wrong in saying that, but I don't think they're wrong either in saying, you got off the boat 12 minutes ago. Yeah. You don't understand how powerful these guys have been and how embedded their power is and how much things are just going to flow back to them all the time. And if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. So 
it's really difficult, like really, really difficult. And I do wonder whether they're going to, when push comes to shove, whether they're going to be frightened enough of this, you know, extremely slick tongued dude hmm. from another country hmm. to kind of actually reshape their, their governance structures. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would, I'm leaning towards, I'm leaning towards Tyrion simply because I'm not sure what what the other option is. He's kind of negotiating from a position of weakness. I, I see it more of he's trying to buy time as much as anything. Um, because the uh, other- so to you, this isn't like this isn't him saying this is really really going to work. He's just saying it's going to work for long enough for my bigger play to come off. Possibly, yeah. I think he's he's hoping it works, and he's thinking it probably won't. But this is the the best play he's got because alternatively. It's just a war straight away, and they're yeah, in a very yeah, weak yeah. position. It's, you know yeah. what? In a funny way, it's kind of um, it's a similar argument to um, when we do 20th century history about um, the whole sort of run up to the Second World War, and uh, the British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain gets a lot of heat for appeasement and coming back saying, "Oh, you know, we've made this agreement with Hitler, and everything's going to be okay." And then within sort of a year or two, the war's begun. And mm. on one hand, there's actually a lot of evidence to suggest that Britain wasn't ready to go to war at that point. So it was uh. more desperately trying to buy time to actually getting a, get yourself in a better position. Whereas, but then you could have the other argument and say, if you go in in a stronger, if you put your foot down earlier, you could have a, you could have a, a better result. So if you stay with the sort of invasion of Czechoslovakia, appeasement argument okay Chamberlain feels he needs to buy himself some time but um if you if you had a different character there if you had Churchill the other side of the table basically leaning over cigar in mouth saying look you come into Czechoslovakia and there are going to be consequences maybe Hitler <laughs> changes his mind so you know it's yeah. but it's, it's always that question between do you you know can you actually take a stronger line and get more better results or do you need to be a bit softly, softly, and buy a bit of time and and try and tread a bit more carefully? It's a it's a classic sort of um, political calculation, this isn't it? And it depends on the character of the person who's making the decision. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, and you can't ever say, can you? It's the great counterfactual. It's a risk either way. Yeah. And yeah. yeah so I think I very very difficult to say. And mm. I'm glad I'm neither Chamberlain. Churchill nor Tyrion. <laughs> yeah. um, I think think everybody in that particular context is happy about that as well. Yeah, um, we move on to the. <laughs> thanks, thanks for agreeing. Jeez, <laughs> mate, I appreciate that. <laughs> we move on to the Jorah and Dario Roadshow as it continues. Hey! <laughs> and uh, there's this um, continued like bickering as they sort of uh, making the way towards Vastothrak. Um, they decide to sneak into the city to save Daenerys and Jorah says, look, we've got to leave our weapons behind because we get caught in there with, you know, if we're armed, we're going to get killed. Uh, which, which... Yeah, 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 and he almost doesn't need to add, and the Dothraki don't fuck around when they've decided <laughs> to kill you. <laughs> yeah, so this is interesting because obviously he's been with the Dothraki for a long time and so he knows them a lot better than Dario does. Uh, but at the same time, Dario's like, uh, well, I'm taking this, I'm sneaking this knife in regardless, which, <laughs> which seems sensible to be honest, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's fairly undeniable, isn't it? Yeah, and in the end, I mean, I suppose with hindsight, it seems sensible because they end up getting 
into this fight in an alleyway. Um, Sajora basically gets his gets his ass handed to him. I like how he tries to do the classic flick dust in the guy's face, um, yeah. and it just doesn't work. And the guy's like, "Nope, nope, not yeah. happening." Yeah, um, and in the end, it's only the fact that Dario's brought this knife in that basically saves them. Um, yeah, I, I, I like Dario's sort of like primitive CSI thing where he like this guy always been stabbed. It's going to be obvious someone's got a weapon, so he just caves his head in posthumously with a rock. <laughs> it's like right, there you go. <laughs> it was that. I, that was just a, a, a wonderful moment where the makers of the TV series were like, "Do you know what? We haven't had somebody do something for a, a violent for an uncomfortably long time on screen recently. Should we bash his head in? Go on, have him. Yeah, ah, absolutely. Yeah, smack, smash. Bring in the watermelons. Let's really make the sound effects work for this. Smash, squash." <laughs> Splam! Explode! Yeah. In comparison to how Sajora's fought in the past, do you feel that this the show's trying to show you here that f- for whatever reason, maybe it's just continuing to getting older, or it's more likely this sort of the um, grayscale that's taking over him that he's slowing down now and he's not sort of the the tough fighter that he was. Oh, that's quite interesting. See, I, I wasn't thinking about it in those terms at all, to be honest with you. I was just thinking about... Um, uh, I was just thinking about he's an old man. Hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I'm very willing for this to be about the, the grayscale. Although, on the other hand, like, I really hope something comes of this grayscale because it seems to be the least threatening and inhibiting horrifying illness in all of fiction. You know, he sort of carries it around occasionally, and once, once about once a series, he sort of turns his arm over and undoes his, his binding and goes, Whoa. <laughs> Look, looks a bit like stone that, Whoa. and wraps it back up again. So, yeah, yeah I wonder what's going to come of it. Well, it's, it it turns you insane, doesn't it? Great, it, from what you see from those like weird zombie stone men guys who turn up, that's sort of the end product that's the end game yeah so it's kind of like i suppose uh, interesting. it's it, it's kind of like a uh, zombie bite isn't it that's that's the sort of the parallel with it obviously yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as yes. always is it's another zombie thing yep um <clears throat> he loves a zombie doesn't he george yeah so we cut to uh daenerys sort of settling into life with the dosh colleen um the world's worst sort of knitting circle um. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic I always think Dosh Colleen sounds like some sort of really weird like exchange and mart thing like <laughs> bring bring in your Dosh we'll Colleen it or something you know like it's a money laundering operation is what it is there we go I knew there was a joke in there somewhere <laughs> we'll yeah. Colleen your Dosh <laughs> uh, and uh, Daenerys decides you know what stinks in here I'm going for a walk so she okay. <laughs> she leaves for a bit of fresh air and this is the point where she bumps into um, obviously Jorah and uh, Dario who've come together and she says whoa 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 cool your jets I've got a plan and then <laughs> oh. oh wow <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> <laughs> Khaleesi uh uh, I, a plan, you say? <laughs> uh, interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, again quite interesting. There's um, once again, I, there, there's very little here um, that is that is still covered by b- the books, isn't it? This is all sort of fresh stuff, really. Um, Absolutely, yeah. 
we go back to King's Landing, which is um, is the High Sparrow, the High Sparrow talking to Marjorie, and we get a bit of a background to what happened to the High Sparrow, why he's become what he's become. He used to be sort of a what appears to be a, he used to be a luxury shoemaker, um, and. <laughs> In, in in this world, that seems to be a lot... in the high life. Well, I was going to say, in uh, this world, it seems to be a lot more rock and roll than a luxury shoemaker. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, it's like, so essentially, he was Jimmy Choo, wasn't he? That yeah. was that. That's his thing. He's Jimmy Choo. All right, okay. But cool. taken to the extreme, because in King's Landing's version, this uh, leads to... Um, what seems to be just loads of excess in terms of food, drink, and orgies. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, at what point in making a really, really slick pair of shoes does does he just kind of go, do you know what we need in here? Do you know what's going to make this shoemaking process more effective? Coke and hookers. That's what we need in here. <laughs> yeah, but it apparently he just woke up one day. was like, oh... What did I drink last night? Looks around, sees just everybody just spark out naked, surrounded by drink, coke and whores. Shoes. And shoes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's shoes with drugs in them. It's shoes with coke in them. Shoes the with white piles. <laughs> there's a guy lying there's a guy lying there with three women wearing only his shoes. <laughs> Shoes on his hands. I looked at him and thought, "That's perverse." He thought, "I've got to get out of here." He thought, "What have I done? <laughs> what have I become?" No, but he. Um, so he decides he's had enough. Um, I mean, there are examples of in in real life where people do this who are very, uh, very wealthy and suddenly decide that they don't don't like the whole society that they've become a part of for so long can just drop out and say, nope, not enough. Yeah. There are bigger things in in life to be concerned about. Um, and a lot of the reaction to this guy, especially online, has been, like, very, very negative in that they don't, you know, people people hate this guy and say he's a complete yeah. fraud and he's just another guy going for power and... Uh, he makes, you know, his worldview makes absolutely no sense. Um, it, what do you think? Well, I mean, it's a fictional religion, isn't it? Like, I think at a certain <laughs> point... Yeah, right, if I get into apologetics with a religion that's been thought up purely and solely so that it provides plot mechanics. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, as always with George Martin, you underestimate his characters at your peril so you know i suspect that there's a good chance that within this world this character really believes he's doing what's right Mm. and it it just so happens that this world is so completely soaked in avarice and self-interest that even when he thinks he's being self-denying and he's wearing no shoes and he's kind of wandering around he doesn't have a palace and all the rest of it you know he's very clearly aware of his power Mm. you know like we saw with the scene with jamie and was it episode one yeah. Where they're standing over Marcella's body. And Jamie goes, You fucking mug. Oh, it's a fucking have you. <laughs> and he just goes, sort of raises an eyebrow, and 50 <laughs> terrifying armed uh, acolytes, quote, quote, rather yeah. than, you know, stormtroopers, as they might otherwise <laughs> be called, appear from every cranny in the building. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't know. He could be sincere, but I think if he is sincere, he is 
kidding himself. Mm. Um, but, you know, as is everybody in this thing, I think. Mm. That's uh, what I reckon. What do you think of him? Yeah, I, I think he's I think he's, he's sincere. Um, and uh, Just horrifying, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, you've got to say this for him. He's, he's sort of... He's walking the walk, isn't he? He's, he's there in his bare feet, um, yeah. in a rag, uh, and he doesn't appear Talking to Talking to be. the king. Yeah. I mean, that's where it falls down for me, really, is that all of that, like, the kind of... The religious traditions on which that draws, or certainly the religious traditions which I'm familiar with, which preach a similar kind of poverty... Hmm. Um, really don't give two shits about talking to kings and queens and are very much more focused out on the poor people. And all I've seen of this bloke is him ostentatiously wearing a poverty costume but making very sure to be as close as possible and have as much control as possible over several of the people called Queen. So, yeah, you know. But I suppose this is a story told through people of high birth, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah, wouldn't you love it, though, if it went to sort of a Ken Loach... Social realist place. <laughs> Just sort of went. Well, if I'm going to have this character, of course I need to make sure he exists completely of himself. So I suppose, um, yeah. I mean, we probably better add, hadn't we? Anyway, all ding ding, all aboard the Kez train, and it just becomes a Kez story. About Kez. <laughs> yeah, that would have been quite a, quite a departure, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. So yeah, he's working on Marjorie here, um, and then he lets Marjorie see Soloris who we haven't seen for a while yet, and he he's ready to give it all up. He's uh, he's basically a broken man at this point, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and, Folded like a cheap balloon. Yeah. It's worth remembering, the the only reason these two are in custody is basically because Loris is gay and because yeah. Marjorie maybe didn't say this straight away during the trial. So, I yeah. mean... Uh, you, you could, you could, with the Cersei stuff. I mean, what happened to her was dreadful, but at least there was some kind of transgressions that you, you know, you think. Yeah. You, she, basically, she'd been doing various, you know, political bits and pieces for a while, including trying to kill, well, assassinating the king by proxy. So maybe yeah. there was, you know, something in maybe this woman should be locked up <laughs> whereas <laughs> the, you feel with these two like geez you know this is just yeah. uh yeah um on, on yeah, the well, strangest I, thing well um, actually i think you touched there on one of the problems that i have with this this scene or this scenario hmm. which is that um i yeah i like i don't have any reason to have remembered that or care about it hmm. because i'm like well you know Okay, so what I've got is Cersei and Jamie don't want them to succeed, versus the High Sparrow don't want him to succeed, versus Marjorie and Loras don't want them to succeed, <laughs> and um, King Tommen, who I, could be a really sympathetic protagonist in the middle of all of that, yeah, but he's actually you know the sort of wettest, least interesting, limpest milk sop <laughs> seen in this in in this entire story universe. So I'm just like. <laughs> Carry on, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Tom, we go to the Lannister and Tyrrell response then. Mm. So um, Tommen's basically saying to Cersei, look, we can't we can't wind him up. We can't, we've got to be sort of, we can't do anything to anger the High Sparrow and this walk of atonement's coming up for Marjorie and the High Sparrow told me not to tell you. Which um, <laughs> I, I do wonder if the High Sparrow Once told Once again. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder if the High Sparrow told him that, knowing full well he was going to tell his mum. Um, yeah, that's interesting, yeah. So then there's this chat at the High Council, at the uh, Small Council, uh, about what to do about it. 
sort of Lady Elena is, is very much on board with, you know, we don't want Marjorie doing the old walk of punishment, walk of shame, um, which yeah. Cersei did. And the response, the decision that they come to is they let the Tyrell army into the city to basically break out Marjorie. And technically, it won't be the it won't be the uh, city watch and Lannisters um, taking up arms. They'll just sort of stand aside, which gets around this problem of, that Tommen's brought forward, who who's explicitly said, "I don't want you doing anything to antagonise him." What do you think about that as a plan? <laughs> I know we've got a problem. <laughs> I tell you what we should do is make a secret deal between our families who have had trouble trusting each other in the past. I'm sure that <laughs> nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> you know, you might as well now just smash cut to a pile of betrayed soldiers in the street <laughs> and Cersei looking angry, because that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> I thought it was quite funny how you almost saw Lady Elena's eyes light up as soon as he said, yeah. why not bring your soldiers into the city? She was like, oh, yes. <laughs> Now, did she do that? Because she's like, ah, political power, intrigue, control, military strength, aha. Or is it because she's like, ooh, intrigue, ooh, 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 complicated plots and double dealing, I love those. (laughs) Probably both, to be honest. She loves the game for the game, but also she wants to win. Yeah, she is, she is, she... She she loves both the player and the game. <laughs> uh, we cross over to uh, Pike, where Theon makes his glorious or not so glorious return, um, and meets up with Yara, or Asha as we know her in the books. I really like this. Um, so t- so Theon's obviously this broken guy now. He's apologising. He's saying, you know, um, I've come home because I've nowhere else to go. And Yara, you can tell, and she does a, she, the actress does a really good job here. You can tell yeah. that she does care about him, but also the whole sort of upbringing and the whole character that she's become on the Iron Islands. She's also disgusted with him as well. And when he's sort of in tears and apologising, and she's she's sort of angrily says, "Stop apologising." Yeah. Um, and I just thought this. I really like this scene. I thought it, I thought it was really well done. Yes, I agree. Very, very powerful. And a really great introduction or a reminder of how if Theon has been trying to get home all this time, which I don't think he was. Like, I certainly haven't felt that that was his story arc. One of the reasons Mm. it's been frustrating is I haven't felt like he has a story arc. Yeah. (laughs) He's just there to get dicked on. But now he's got home, of course, everybody's like, fuck you. Mm. You know, like... And I I love that his idea of what he can do to be helpful is to sort of offer himself as a sort of eminence grease power behind the throne hand of the king type <laughs> when he could, can't look in one direction for three seconds before his trauma comes back and assaults him <laughs> and prevents him from having a conversation with anybody you know what I mean? like in this story world that's ludicrous yeah um yeah and so so i'm not quite sure what he's imagining he'll be useful for there and of course yara is very much like no no no, shit no, of course no, no way, no. Yeah, that is a good point. What does Theon bring to the table here in, 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 the, in the context of Iron Islands politics? Well, I mean, he's got a very, very kind of... The, the, uh, the opposing military commander is very definitely in his head, so that's always what you want <laughs> in, a, in an aide-de-comp, a 2IC. That's definitely what you want there. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't got a clue, couldn't tell you. I mean, he's still technically the sort of has the strongest claim by bloodline to the Iron Throne, but that's just not how yeah, they do it, is it here? 
You wouldn't put your lunch money on him in a fight, though, would you? No, no. I mean, we're building here, too, something that was in Feast for Crows, which is this king's moot, where they decide who's going to be king. I wonder if he'll have a important part to play in that, um, in sort of maybe trying, yeah. to, trying to help Yara towards the uh, towards success. Yeah. Um, do, you think you'll, do you think they'll do that, based on what they've done in the books, which was like the king's moot happens and it's dramatic and it takes chapter after chapter and then it just ends up with Yara... Asher just being like, oh, didn't happen. <laughs> didn't get it. Shit. <laughs> well, they just short-circuit that entire process and have her become queen just because. Because that would well, be possible. amazing. It's possible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully it's going to happen fairly soon. We don't want to have the long, um, drawn-out wait that we had in the books. Um, we cut over to Winterfell. Um, there's been a lot of talk about this place in the last few, well, in a few scenes ago. And now we get to see it. Osha, remember her, the wildling girl? Who, um, I do. Well, yeah. It's nice to have her back, isn't it? <laughs> Briefly, yeah. So <laughs> um, so she turns up in Ramsay's quarters. Um, she's basically uh, on the surface there to sort of say hello, introduce yourself, and, you know, see if Ramsay fancies a bit of, uh, a bit of fun. Uh, well, she's really obviously there to kill him. Yeah. Um, she makes this assassination attempt she fails and ends up being stabbed by Ramsay's fruit knife um i actually i quite like this because it felt it, well it felt to me like she's she's done this successfully before with theon and yeah. what i liked about it, it was a bit of a sort of same old same old Ramsay comes out on top again killing someone um mm. but it felt like she was re- as, as it went along the way the interactions went she became increasingly aware that this wasn't working and became increasingly desperate and the more desperate she got the the less it worked Where, yeah. at, until at the end she sort of just goes for the knife and it's it's almost like a um she knows how this is going to go and she's yeah. just she's nothing else to do um yeah. it did feel like a so in, from that sense, I liked it. The other side, it did feel like a bit of a waste of another character who we've waited a long time to see again and just yeah. immediately lost. But I thought yeah. the way it happened was... I found that interesting, the way that the um, the interactions went and that, that feeling that she she was going down almost the roller coaster and there was no way she could stop it. Oh, that's a very good way of putting it. And I think, yeah, that's a strong argument. On reflection, the scene was well played. Um, and certainly Una Chaplin I think is a great actress um, but I don't know just anything to do with Ramsay these days I'm like the thing is that they've I, I feel strongly that they've written themselves into a corner hmm. they either um, he comes out on top and kills people that you don't want to have killed in which case you don't and which is what has always happened to this point so you're investing less and less and less in these scenes but the problem is that every time they have him come out on top they re-establish him as this character who's more ruthless and more deadly than anybody else and in fact I can't think of anybody else in the series who might be as ruthless as he is hmm. and as unbroken as he is oh I mean Cersei possibly a couple of books back maybe hmm. not that they've ever met um, but the you know the problem is that um, what that means is in your story logic, you either have him carry on winning, in which case there's no tension in a scene at all because I don't invest in it because I know what's going to happen, or 
you have him killed through some ridiculous concatenation of circumstance, which is incredibly unsatisfying because it would mm. be, you know, apple tree falls on him or something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that would be brilliant. Like, it, yeah, yeah. As one day, Ramsey, king of all he, all he saw, walked under a window. Unfortunately, somebody dropped a glass of milk from 15 stories up and stove his head clean in. Anyway, moving on to the final battle between the whites and the red god. I love the apple tree falling on him idea. I love the idea of the last scene of this this series or this season is like he's standing over surveying the battlefield where the the uh, the knights of the Vale have all been decimated the knights watch stroke wildlings are all gone and he's just under this apple tree and is like grabs an apple to continue his uh, his love affair with those and then it just cuts to black as you hear this creak. <laughs> <laughs> they would as well wouldn't they they wouldn't even put it on screen that's what they do with his death bloody hell yeah, oh. yeah. I think oh. it's interesting because with Ramsey, um, I think the pro- thing that's made it a bit difficult is for me with his character is it, I always see, saw him as I, I thought this is particularly. I, I was on board with him killing Osha here because I thought that that is his strength. You know, he sees immediate threats very quickly and is entirely ruthless in dealing with them. But his his um, his weakness has always been the hot-headedness and his inability to really think many steps ahead in terms of strategy. He is, like you say, actually, he's very similar to Cersei in that respect. But the the fact that he successfully engineers this mutiny and kills Roose Bolton, who's almost the opposite to him in so far as strategy, makes him feel almost like a bit of an overpowered character at this stage. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? That's that's exactly the right word. He's overpowered, like in a video game. Mm. Like when, you know, if somebody's cheating at a game of Counter-Strike or something, you're just <laughs> like, well, I'm not going to fucking play you then, am I, dick? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, like, he, basically, Ramsey, Ramsey Bolton is a hacked character, <laughs> and so I don't invest anything in his scenes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and like, and, you know, obviously it's natural he's being nasty to characters that I like, oh, I'm sulking and whatever, but you know, <laughs> I, I think he's gone beyond the boundaries of plausibility at this point. There's a, another thing to draw out of this scene, um, which would be interesting. There's a, obviously last week there was a lot of consternation and we spoke about the difficulty we had over just what the umbers are up to here. Um, because they seemed quite. It seems it's very hard to make an argument. We, we did our best. It's very hard to make an argument to suggest that they're not um, on the what they say they're on the surface, which is um, we've had enough of the Starks, even though we were super loyal to them in the past. Here's mm. the last remaining heir. Um, let's join up together. Does the fact that the girl they sent in with with him, Osha, the fact she immediately moves into assassin mode suggests that they were the umbers were aware of that and that was part of a some kind of plan or are we just grasping oh. at straws here oh that's an interesting possibility um oh, once again something which is an interesting possibility which has come to nothing um but that is an interesting play actually i think that is a way to sort of rehabilitate the umbers a little bit but but phew, high stakes play there though i feel i'd like to believe it but it's a bit tenuous, isn't it? I mean, you you're already you bought your way back into this guy's rather dubious affections by bringing in a slave. He's no reason to trust the slave, mm. you know. Like yeah. he's no reason to, he's no reason to trust you, and clearly he doesn't. But 
I, I, it's a good play. I like the idea of it. I do like the way that goes. Hmm. Hmm. Um, but I think it's implausible. I think that would be a bit Mary Sue, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Um, next up, we uh, go back up to the wall um, because the pink letter's about to arrive, which uh, is something from the books. Um, before that, we get uh, Tormund uh, eating a chicken in the most aggressively seductive way I've ever seen anyone eat <laughs> a chicken in the world, as he's looking at Brienne and just tearing yeah. into this chicken. <laughs> it's not terribly... It's not established with a terribly light touch, is it? <laughs> this this sort of... This idea that this, like, enormous badass of a woman and this enormous badass of a man might get it on. Like, <laughs> fair enough. I do quite like the idea, though. They're, like, survivors of the series. And, you know... And I, I quite like both of these characters, so you know. So this is I've realised. I've realised what I'm doing now is whenever I come across characters that something good might happen to them, I go I go from oh they're still alive to maybe they'll be the king. <laughs> when, you'd love it, wouldn't you? A husband and wife team with a wildling and the bear of uh, of, um, of oh no, she's not the bear. Was she the the maiden of Tarth? Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, uh, being sort of. Being on the Iron Throne, Be <laughs> fucking amazing. I love, I love Brienne's reaction to him as well. It's just like, whoa, <laughs> 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 this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you know what? I always wondered what I wanted in a man uh, after after Renly, where what I thought I wanted was a man who was not in the slightest bit interested in me romantically. <laughs> but uh, now I realise that what I want is poorly kempt ginger hair. <laughs> and you, sir, have it in spades. <laughs> Let's shine. This man knows how to eat a chicken. Yeah! <laughs> not like these boys who nibble at it. No, no, no. No, he practically fillets the thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure... Um... I'm not sure if this is going to be successful in terms of a attempt to win Brienne's affections, but we'll find out later, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so the pink letter arrives. John reads some of it. Sansa reads the rest. And um, that's quite clever from Sansa's part because it, it really does... I mean, it's written to um, to wind up John, isn't it? And also everybody yeah. else. And by reading it all out, Sansa does a good job of getting, for example, people like Tormund really on the side and ready to go and yeah. get involved with this. Yeah. Um, and it's all sort of, this is all building up to the sort of, let's do it, let's go south, let's kick some ass. Yeah. Got to be looking forward yeah. to that. Oh, yeah, it's great though, isn't it? Mm. Just just completely fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh the way she turns them all around. I still think this is a bad move. Like I, at this point I'm firmly in the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm passing the hat around for the Jon Snow sorely needed gap year fund. Mm. I just want to send him away to Thailand. I want him to just go and be on a beach. for a <laughs> I think they're doing an enormous amount of good. Um, since that's not going to happen, might as well get um, Tormund on side for the fighting. So. Yeah. Yeah. Then we cut over to uh Vase Dothrak again for Daenerys's fire fun. Where um the the, the sort of the the Carls are all together uh, having a chat in their big sort of hut and uh Daenerys is brought before them. She's remarkably confident for some reason. Um 
throughout this whole scene, you're thinking, why are you so like confident? Why are you here? so calm? Yeah. And as it turns out, she's yeah, she's she's she's, she's confident because she's embraced psychopathic violence. <laughs> yeah, she's got a fiery ace up her sleeve, which is she basically burns down the building with herself yeah. and all the Carls in it, and then emerges from the flames, starkers, and uh, and just surveying the uh, the rest of the Dothraki, yeah. um, and of course there's. There's Jorah and uh, Dario with her too. So Jorah and Dario's part in this was to lock the doors to keep everybody in. Oh, which they went along with. I can shady s- doings. It's positively yeah. godfather shit this, isn't it? I, I can see why Jorah was down with this. I'm not quite sure how Dario um, was happy with it, but... You know, I think he's he just been driven completely mad by the fact that there's this woman that he's he's used to having sex whenever he damn well pleases. <laughs> and there's this woman that he's been having sex with who was like, no, 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 no. I'm calling the shots here. I think it's just it boiled his brain. I think he's just like, what do I, what am I going to, ah, damn it, woman. Fine. <laughs> Something I love here when she's standing there naked looking out over everybody and Jorah and Dario kneeling before her. Jorah has a cheeky second look as well. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. I didn't know. Oh, Jory, you fucking dog. Unbelievable. She's no means no, you silly bastard. Leave it. Yeah, but um, I mean, what do you make of this scene? I mean, this is a great moment for Daenerys, isn't it? Oh, well, I mean, fantastic for the plot. Definitely on board with this because, oh, this is where she gets her army from. Sweet. Mm. And it's got a nice symmetry to how way back when, you know, this was the idea all along was that, you know, the armies of the Dothraki would be bought she would be the coin with which they are bought and now she's going to be the queen by whom they are led. Mm. And so I love that. I do think as a character moment, though, this um, is a little bit cold. Mm. Um, this is well, more than a little bit cold, I suppose. But it's just like, well, I mean, yeah, cool. But like, so sympathy? No. Mm. Mercy? No, mother of no, no, just gonna burn them all inside their own heavy tent. <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, fair enough. What they're saying at the time, you know, they deserve it. But you know, that it clearly wasn't like she went in there in two minds about what she was gonna do, and then went, "Well, now you've called me that." Yeah. Fire burn, you know. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but, so it sets up the plot beautifully. As a reader, I'm really happy about it. As a character moment, I'm a bit like, she's now significantly less sympathetic than she was. Yeah, she's always had this ruthless streak, hasn't she, Daenerys? I mean, you look at the sort of nailing up the masters when she um, when she got to Marine as well. That's true. And That's true. I, I, yeah. I do think there's a there's an interesting um, battle going on within Daenerys between you could even sort of look back in her ancestry with sort of the mad kings and the good kings and which one would she be um, and she's got this compassionate side of her but she's also got this ruthless sort of do not fucking mess yeah. side yeah. and of course you probably need both to be a successful ruler in this kind of world but it's yeah. um, I mean there has been talk about whether she you know is she actually going to be is she going to end up being the villain in this by the end of it? You know, yeah. um, oh, that's an interesting thing. Are we looking at sort of a dark origin story here rather than the he- heroic story that we expect? Um, and I, I think that's it's into yeah. you know it could go either way still that. 
Yeah, could could be. And as ever, when we're talking on that sort of plot level, even though it's that sort of plot that I get impatient for, it's kind of impossible to say until we see it as a whole, mm. you know, yeah. and the journey of that character. But I will say that the journey she's going on isn't terribly compelling to me. Mm. No, it is compelling to me now. It hasn't been compelling to me for a long time. And if it ends up in a place where she's like, ha, 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 ha I win, sucksaws. <laughs> like, it's just a bit, uh, oh, okay, cool, you know, all right. Uh, another one of those characters, eh? Interesting. <laughs> uh, seems like we had quite a few of those, but, you know, you know carry on, George, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think it's going to go that way. I think she'll end, still end up being uh, someone who you're pulling for right up to the end. Um, yeah. Because I just think, but I do think there's... Uh, I like the I like the fact there's a bit of a, there's a bit of complexity there. She's not just it's like a, there are very few outrightly villainous characters in this. There are one or two, but not many. And yeah. at the same time, there are very few just clearly good characters, aren't there? Which is which yeah. is which is yeah. nice. But complexity doesn't hurt anyone. Abs- absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, and that that's the that's the uh, episode for this week. Um, we'll have the the next week's episode coming up fairly, fairly soon as well because by the time this comes out, I, I assume most of you will have seen episode five, so we'll get that, we'll get that out as soon as possible too. Um, all we have left to talk about today, we, as, as we say, we do um, a bit about the we'll do a look at the see the week sort of the sort of episode for the week, and then we take a look at one of these fan theories as well. And um, the one we're doing this week is R plus L equals J. You're aware of this one, aren't you? Do you, do you want to, um, give, to tell me what you um, take from it at the moment? Well, okay, so this is one that I haven't been able to avoid. My my innocence is not intact. Um, I have It wasn't Matt's bunker full of spoilers. It was some BuzzFeed article somewhere on the internet that suckered me with a, a headline that I didn't think was going to be about spoilers. My... The, the, <laughs> The, the 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 spirit is willing but the flesh is weak Matt is all I'll say about that <laughs> but um uh, but um so this as I understand it is the theory that Jon Snow far from being um the illegitimate son of Ned Stark and essentially kind of washerwoman unknown right mm. um during during the war um, is in fact the offspring of um, Prince Rhaegar, the heir to the throne, mm. and Lyanna Stark, mm. whose who's kind of dalliance was the reason that the war kicked off in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this, th- there has a certain amount to recommend it because, um, well, I'm, I know I, before I get into that, that's what I understand about it. Am I right? Yeah, that that's that's the sort of yeah. It's all it's all wraps up around who is yeah who is Jon Snow's per- who are, who are Jon Snow's parents yeah 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 because of course if that's the case then he's the heir to the throne of the Iron whatever's right. Uh, yeah, I think I mean I assume that would still mean Daenerys is the sort That'd of be a bit anticlimactic wouldn't it they've hidden this for six series and he turns up and goes i am the heir and then there's just a maester in the background with the books out going um uh, actually lovely to see you uh you're actually still third in line so would you mind ever so much just taking a seat yeah i'm not hang on maybe he is let me work it out so so he would be rhaegar's son yeah. So it would be, but Rhaegar was never king, was he? 
Yeah, in between them killing the, the killing the Mad King. Yeah, and um, yeah, no, he would have been king briefly, wouldn't he? Because they killed they killed the Mad King before they killed him. No, they killed him first. He, oh, so he oh, okay. he, he right. dies well, in, in this case, big battle yeah. on the Trident, and then Tyrion Lannister comes into King's Landing and, and Jaime kills Aerys. So you've either got the old king, the Mad King. So you've either got the Mad King's grandson or the Mad King's daughter. I don't know. <laughs> if anyone can help yeah. us out with that. One of them's That's got a true. claim anyway. Um, it, yeah, it puts him bang in the middle of the line of succession. So the yeah, so so there are basically that is the most likely in terms of what people on the internet seem to think of all the theories of around who John's parents are. So the first, right, okay. I mean, the first theory, the original one is what Ned actually says on the King's Road when he's speaking to Robert way back in the first book, um, where he talks about this. Um, this wet nurse called Willa, who's um, basically this this uh, woman who, he's, who Ned sleeps with and then fathers this bastard boy and brings him home after the war. So that's sort of the... That's the story that we're told at the start, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there's also a, um, a a theory that it's someone called Ashara Dane, who's um, uh, basically all wrapped up in um this this tournament that's held i think we 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 sort of come across this in one of the sort of middle books um and it's along this line of there was this big tournament and there was this love triangle between ashara dane and a couple of other people and she ended up killing herself um by jumping from this tower um because yeah. of some some sort of jilted lover and there's a suggestion that Ned Stark's involved with all that. So that's another possibility. There was also this yeah. weird little story that, um, do you remember Davos hears? This is um, book only. Um, when mm. he goes to, um, you know, he gets washed up on those islands where they have the spice, um, the, the spiced crab soup. Um, do, do you remember this? Uh yeah, I do, but what I don't remember the plot thing. I remember this being one of the infuriating things where you're like, is this a thing or not a thing? I do not know of things. <laughs> yeah, so it was... Um, so basically, uh, D- Davos ends up washed up on this weird sort of craggy island <laughs> place. And uh, and and the, the guy who runs it says, oh, the last, the last lot, Western Lord we had here was Ned Stark, who, like, this this fisher wife saved his life and he left her with a bastard in the belly um suggesting yeah. that that could be Jon snow but yeah, yeah. The, uh, the 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 sort of the general consensus is all those things are bits of misdirection and the real the real answer is that Jon snow is yeah the the child of Rhaegar and Lyanna which suggests that it sort of calls into question the whole reason for this war way back when, where the general story goes um, that Rhaegar sort of basically kidnapped and raped Lyanna. Mm. And the suggestion is not only did that maybe not happen, but that it was it was the opposite. It was two basically lovers running away together. Um, 
Now we do. Yeah. There's there's no way of knowing. Still at this point, is there? But um, do you think this? Do you think this uh this this holds any water? This 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 theory. Um, yeah, it's certainly plausible, mm. and there's certainly a lot of things that they've done in the TV series which. I don't think you can really justify without it, which was the argument of this article I read all this time ago. Mm. Like, you know, you've got a limited amount of screen time and you're going to spend a lot of time having people muse purposelessly on Ned's dead sister, who's then not mentioned for a long time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, like, I think I think this has got juice, to be honest. Mm. I think this has, got, this has got juice. But then again, I mean, it's fan theories and a song of ice and fire. You know, George Martin could very happily kill everybody we've ever heard of and raise up a whole new cast for the finale, couldn't he? I mean, he's, he sometimes yeah. acts like a man who's looking to fire his overpaid actors in the seventh series of a successful TV show. <laughs> get, high, fire them all, we'll get impressionists in. Bollocks to it. <laughs> There's also this, um, I mean, the, the stuff at the Tower of Joy adds a bit of extra, um, yeah. a bit of an extra element to this. Because A, there's this, Ned remembers this promise that he made to Lyanna when he finally got to got back to, to to see her at the end of this fight inside the Terror of Joy. It's interesting that in the series there's the fight outside, isn't there? And then you hear someone screaming and it's cut and and, and we cut away. Cut to and Bran is our surrogate <laughs> in that scene going, No, 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 no tell me what's ha- please tell me what's happening. Yeah. Which obviously that kind of makes sense. Could be could be childbirth. Um, you've also got this promise. The promise, a lot of people seem to think, is you've got to look after this baby and don't tell anybody who the you know who he is, to, or else mm. he'll get killed. Because obviously, um, it's not the <laughs> you've seen how um, Robert, what Robert thought about Targaryens. So um, it's unlikely he'll be like, "What's that, Ned? You got a." You got a, a Targaryen with you. That oh, that's cool. No, no, we've been through a lot together. Uh, just raise him, <laughs> raise him as your own up at the wall. We'll put the in yeah. the north. It's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, also the fact that there are three Kingsguard at like defending this tower. Um, yeah. I mean, do, do you do that? Do you put and, and they're the three best as well? The three best. Uh, yeah, are, exactly that. Yeah. Like they are literally the best of the best. There yeah. is a man here who can fight with a sword in each hand and not look like a tit. <laughs> and you yeah. don't put him in pointless places, right? Yeah. So yeah. So you're going to have this massive battle on the trident, which is going to decide the war. And you take your three best fighters and move them over to guard a tower. Um, does that make more sense if you're guarding the unborn heir to the throne? Well, then it does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yes, it does very, very much. Um, and that, I think, is the strongest argument. Um, given Robert's character and Ned's character, this is exactly what would be done, mm. I think. And um, given that this is if this kid is, if it is John, is the heir to the throne, then that's exactly where you put your best guys. Mm. Um yeah, although it has less dramatic force now, both Ned and Robert are dead. Mm. Like I think, I mean, I understand why he structured the sort of story this way because the returning heir, you know, the secret unknown heir, um, uh, returns, um, is a big thing in in literature. Mm. So I understand why he do it, but at the same time, it's a bit sort of, um, 
I quite would I would have quite liked to have seen the developing relationship between Robert and Ned and then this child the you know the nature of this child becoming known yeah and what yeah. would happen there whereas now I'm like kind of well you're all a shower of bastards though aren't you whereas I quite liked <laughs> and I reasonably tolerated Robert you know that would I, I was invested in that relationship whereas in the five series since all of the relationships have become kind of broken down contingent you know who can be the biggest bastard to the most people so yeah. I'm just less invested at this point which is kind of sad what do you think this means in terms of the <clears throat> what do you think this means in terms of the who's going to end up on the Iron Throne do you think this means that we're probably going to see John sitting on the throne by the end of it or do you still think it's Daenerys do you still think it's Pod which, which way do you think it's going to go <laughs> well I mean obviously Pod for the Iron Throne right <laughs> Pod for King let's be clear about that but in the real world of this made-up world. Um, I think George has gone to a lot of trouble to establish John as a potential heir to the throne, keep him safe, and then... Um, uh, and and then, like, even to the point of giving him a way of getting out of his getting out of his vows, because he's been killed. So, you know, you, you know, your watch is ended when you're killed. Mm. Um... So, like, all of that does tend towards that. But all that means is that it could happen. And as we know, George loves a it could happen right before he kills somebody. Mm. Um, for the, In this case, only the second time. So, um, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, maybe maybe what will happen is, in the, you know, in the middle of this kind of flood of flood of wildlings that I'm expecting to come from the north, including zombie Stannis... Um, <laughs> What'll happen is that uh, both John and Daenerys will meet, fall desperately in love, shag like absolute rabbits, and then embrace democratic republicanism. And they'll just be like, Ooh. "Yeah, you know what? Actually, we'll just leave it." So, so, so you're looking at democratic republicanism through incest. That is exactly <laughs> what I'm looking at. That is... <laughs> I completely forgot they were related, and that's the problem with this plot. That... <laughs> All right, they're not going to shag like rabbits. We'll, we'll, we'll strike that. Hey, but look, I stand look. next to. The, I stand next to the birth of um, democracy in Westeros. The um, the Targaryens have been into that kind of stuff in the past. So yeah, and know. it's definitely done them nothing but good as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it certainly opens up a number of interesting possibilities, doesn't it? That uh, that theory. Um, yeah, we will have another theory to discuss next week. Um, I've got a I've got a collection of them, and I'm just trying to decide which one to go for. We've also had a couple of um, suggestions. Actually, we'll start with the um, we've had a couple of suggestions in feedback for theories, so we'll go through those. So if you've sent some feedback into us, don't worry, we haven't I haven't forgotten, but we'll we'll do that um, next time. Um, and if you've got any of your own that you want to send in, then please do send them to Shark Liver Oil Podcast at gmail.com. That's Shark Liver Oil Podcast at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter at shark the royal but uh but dave as far, as far as i'm concerned that's as much as i've got to talk about today unless there's anything else you'd like to add no 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 i think um uh yeah i thought this episode was a good one, notwithstanding daenerys going a bit mental <laughs> but um but i'm definitely keen to see what happens next definitely very excited about that oh yeah we'll speak to you next time yeah see you later